are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. Thank you, David. Ushers, uh, Al and you and Wilbur, if you guys will come take the offering this morning. And Ed, if you will pray for the offering, please. Thank you, Ed. Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn them to uh, Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. What we have before us in the story of Jesus walking on the water is obviously a miracle. It is one of the most common, commonly known stories uh, in all the Bible. And it's important to see what Jesus is going to do with the backdrop of the three events that just occurred before this event. Um, he went home to Nazareth, taught there, and the resounding message as he left or while he was in Nazareth was this, that because they did not believe, he could not do many mighty works. And so he walked away from Lazarus, unable to do the mighty works. Here, in contrast, this story, he does his, one of his mightiest works in the walking on the water of calming the disciples' fears, getting in the boat, calling Peter to himself. So in contrast to an unbelieving hometown where he could not do many of his mighty works, he does his mightiest here. He next gets to Herod. The king, who wanted to, who was curious about him now, his fame was growing. Uh, Herod had put John the Baptist to death, had cut off his head. And most likely, Herod wanted to do the same with Jesus. He showed an interest. And Jesus, rather than responding to that interest, turned and walked away. Turned his back on Herod, if you will. Here in this story... In Herod's one thing he said, he said, there's a ghost, that this is the ghost of John the Baptist. Well, in this story, Jesus appears, and what's the disciples' pervading thought as they lay, or they were in the boat? It's a ghost, an apparition, if you will. So he walks away from Nazareth, he turns his back on Herod, and then in this feeding of the 5,000 that he just did, he dismisses the crowd and sends them away. And I want you to see, and again, it's helpful in all the four Gospels to get an overall picture of what's going on. Because as you look down at chapter 14, verse 22, it says, immediately he, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. The construction of the Greek that says he made them get, and I think the King James has, he constrained them to get into the boat. Against their will, the disciples got into the boat. He, he made, the disciples wanted to do something else other than get into that boat. And what was it? John tells us that when they fed, Jesus fed the multitude, in John's gospel, when Jesus fed the multitude, Jesus perceived that they were going to come and make him a king. That was the rush of the crowd in toward Jesus Christ after they had been fed and healed. Jesus wanted no part of an earthly 
kingship, but his disciples absolutely did. The 12 were like, yes, this is your moment. This is the huge crowd in Galilee that will catch on fire and the entire nation will turn to you. This is your moment of messiahship. And Jesus was, no, no, no. Men are still doing that today in this world, trying to take the name of Jesus and take the gospel and build an earthly kingdom to themselves and prosper from it. This is what those men wanted to do. And Jesus had to constrain them. So, so he walks away from Nazareth. He turns his back on Herod. And then he sends the crowds away that want to make him a king in an earthly sense. In essence, he was saying to his men and to those men, people in that crowd, this is not what my kingdom is about. Contrast what happens next with all of that backstory. Look down at verse 22. So he makes his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. So he sends them on a mission. Notice how commanding he is as king. He dis and then it says, while he dismissed the crowds, he makes them get into the boat. He says, go over to the other side. He takes charge. He just had the disciples pass out the bread, but you're done now. I'll take charge. And he does all this stuff, sending the crowds away. He's in charge. He commands as a king should command. Verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. That's significant. He got alone. He got in a, a place like a, it was a mountain. It was a beautiful spot. It was a spot set aside without anybody else around. And I, I guess I would stop to ask you, I guess I would stop to ask you, do you have those times? Do you have those moments where you get alone and just pray? Whether that's in the woods behind where you live or by a stream or a walk down the road, it's good to just get alone apart from everyone and spend time in prayer. Who is he praying for? What was he praying about? Well, he's probably praying for those crowds, maybe for the disciples out of the boat, Maybe for the mission ahead. Look on in verse 23. When the evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Notice it was beaten by the waves, for the wind was contrary, the King James says. The wind was against them. Now, got it in your mind? Jesus, who knew all things, puts them in a boat, sends them across a lake, five miles across, if that, and a wind comes up. Now, let me tell you about the winds on the Sea of Galilee. On the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, where these men were headed toward, was a, the Golan Heights. It was a mountain range that ran down the side of the Sea of Galilee. Within that mountain range, there were, there were ditches and tunnels but open and exposed that it almost looks like the ridge, like ribs going down the side of that, that mountain. If you've ever been in a place where there was between two houses when the wind began to howl, it gets into a small place and it accelerates and accentuates the wind. And so a storm on the Sea of Galilee can come up like that. It could all be calm and in a matter of minutes whipped up into a frenzy. 
And there goes the wind down through those tunnels, hits that lake unexpectedly, and aren't the unexpected winds and trials of life that you never saw coming hit you fast and hard? Where were we as a nation a week or two ago? So these winds come fast and hard, and we don't see them coming, but the men are in the boat, and they're given a mission to go to the other side, and they're seasoned fishermen, most of them. And look down at verse 24. So it was beaten by the wind, was against them. Verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. When was the fourth watch of the night? There were four watches. Obviously, this is the fourth this watch began at 3 o'clock in the morning till 6 o'clock. There were three-hour watches. This was the last watch of the night. It began at 3 o'clock. You do the math and you look at the, the, the chronology of this. In the evening, as the sun was setting, early in the evening, I take it, this wind blew down in. And he didn't come to them until 3 in the morning. Why so long? Why wait all that time when the wind is blowing? Why not come immediately and rescue them? Why doesn't he rescue us when the wind is blowing and he lets it blow and blow and blow? What is he teaching us that he takes so long to change the circumstances or the environment that we live in and for weeks and months and maybe years we go through something, a storm that doesn't seem to let up? What was he telling these men? Well, I think one thing he told them was this. In your strength, in your ability to fight this storm, because you're fishermen and you've done this all your life, this is your expertise. I believe he was waiting for their strength to run out, for their common sense to run out, for their wisdom to run out. I think he was getting them to an end of themselves. Watchman Nee is famous for telling a story that when he was a young Christian, he was along a shore of a lake with, with the lifeguard that was watching over a bunch of swimmers. And uh, Watchman Nee noticed a swimmer having trouble in the lake, and he was going under. And as he stood next to the lifeguard, he noticed the lifeguard wasn't doing anything. And finally, he turned to the man, he said, I, I think that guy's having trouble. He said, I know. And there stood the lifeguard, not moving. Watchman Nee became in a panic and said, aren't you going to save him? And this is what the, the lifeguard said to him. If I go rescue him now, he will drown both of us because he has too much strength. And sure enough, he, about the third or fourth time the guy went under, the, he was exhausted and the lifeguard went in and pulled him to shore. If we have too much strength, too much wisdom, too much ability on our own, the Lord never comes. He waits until we are desperate, until we need him. And there's no more us in the equation. And, and there he is, verse 25. So the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. I love that. Don't you love the picture of that? This storm-tossed sea. And there he is walking on the sea to the boat. Actually, another gospel says that he would have passed by. Verse 26. But when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were, they were terrified, scared. Not happy. Maybe they didn't recognize who it was. Maybe they didn't think he, Jesus could walk on water. And this is what they said. It is a ghost. 
And they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I want you to notice in verse 27 that Jesus does not say, Be encouraged, take heart, I will calm the seas. I will change your circumstances. Take heart, I will heal you. Take heart, I will rescue you from the thing that's given you a lot of grief. Jesus never says that. He says, I am here. That's all you need. That's all we need to know he is there. Because he's more concerned about the peace that happens inside of us than the circumstances that we want changed out here. Behold, it's me. Do not be Afraid. Now, before we get to Peter, I want to make an observation that I think is important to make at this point, and it's this. Why did Jesus walk away from Nazareth, and why did Jesus turn his back on Herod, and why did Jesus send the crowds away? I would suggest this, because none of those believed on him. Faith was not there. They did not trust Jesus Christ. They did not believe on Jesus Christ. Well, how can we say these men believed on Jesus when, he's, when, when they're terrified and they think he's a ghost? Let me suggest to you, they believed on him because they were still heading into the brunt of the storm. It would have been the easiest thing for these men to turn the boat around, be driven by the wind back to where Jesus had sent them off. They, that's what I would have done. Let's turn the boat around. Let's use the flow of the storm and let's get to shore and let's be safe. These men refused to do that because Jesus had told them, you're going to the other side. I'm telling you, Christian, we are going to glory. And in this world, we have no fans. And in this life, we have no one applauding us on, on the way to Zion. It is against us in the flow of life. And yet we press on because we believe the one we're going to. Because we trust the Savior. It is faith where Jesus shows up and comes out in the midst of that storm, not immediately relieving the, the, the waves of it, but still showing up and being there because faith had called him to this place. Their faith in him, that's important to see. Are right, you ready? Before we get to Peter, I have one more observation, and it's this. Nazareth had, had refused him. The kingdom was not there. Herod wanted to kill him. The kingdom was not there. The people he had fed with, with, with the fishes and the loaves of bread, it looked like a kingdom. That's not the kingdom. We're going to see in a minute where the kingdom is. Let's get to Peter. I just want to preface that, and we'll get to the kingdom at the end. Notice verse 28. And Peter answered him, Lord, <laughs> if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes people criticize Peter for shrinking or for sinking in the water, but he's the one who got out of the boat and began to step. Jesus said, come. Jesus said, didn't say, it's the safest place where you're at right now in the boat. Stay there. I'm coming to you. He rewards the audacious in faith. Those who believe on him for, for, for more than the ordinary. He says, come. So Peter got out of his comfort zone. So Peter got out of safety. So Peter got out of the flow of life where everything is calculated. 
Peter got out of the natural realm where one plus one equals two. You know what supernatural is, right? It is above the natural. It is something that is beyond the natural world that happens that, that defies gravity, that defies the elements. Something that's not supposed to happen. Christian, that's our whole life, is to be a supernatural demonstration of the life of Jesus Christ in us. Years ago, and I reference Watchman Nee again, he wrote a book, and I don't recommend the entire book as a couple chapters. It's, it's a, I have trouble with, but overall, it's a great book. It's called The Normal Christian Life. The Normal Christian Life. Years after reading that, I was in a church and a preacher got up and his first thing he said out of his mouth, that book, The Normal Christian Life, God doesn't want us to live a normal Christian life. He wants us to live a supernatural Christian life. Well, I knew immediately the man had never read, read the book because that was Machman Nee's message, that the normal Christian life is supernatural. It's forgiving people that hurt us. It's loving people that reject us. It's living with joy in the midst of confusion, calm in the midst of, of, of chaos. It's confidently knowing that he is the father of this world and nothing catches him by surprise. So that when all are losing their heads, we just smile, say amen, we're a step closer to glory. We walk on the waters. Peter stepped out of the boat. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, wouldn't you love to know how many steps he took? Wouldn't you love to know, was it, was it, I hope it was 12 rather than three? Regardless, he got looking around him. Haven't we all done that? We have peace within our soul and how fast that peace leaves when something agitates us. We, get, we look at people, we look at circumstances, we look at the wind. So when he looked at the wind, he was afraid because he had taken his eyes off Christ. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. <laughs> I love short prayers. I'm a fan of short prayers. Now, I know there's a time to wax elephants and pray on and on and on. And I know there's a time for a lengthy prayer. But I think some of the most more effective prayers are the prayers we get straight to the point and pray with power and pray with meaning and clarity and get it over with. Those of you who have ever eaten with me, know how short my prayers can be. You better be fast in bowing your head because you may not get your head bowed before you have to lift it back up. I guess my general thought is, let's make sure the food doesn't get cold during the prayer. I make it a habit in our family, um, when they're all together, to choose one of the grandchildren or choose somebody. No one knows when it's time. And I love to hear their prayers and I love to hear how they pray. Some are a little longer than others. But the food's usually still hot. Verse 31. I love this. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. <laughs> Grabbed him from going under. Ed taught in Sunday school today that when Lot refused to leave Sodom, the angels latched a hold of him and pulled him out. That's what he does, does he not, to his own? O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? You know, it's, I'll, I'll take Peter's little faith over the almost non-existent faith of the, the other guys in the boat. A mild rebuke, verse 32. And when they had got into the boat, 
the wind ceased. Are you ready for the kingdom, Christian? It's in the next verse. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the son of God. Jesus, in contrast to Nazareth, in contrast to Herod, in contrast to the thousands on that hillside who ate, ate the bread and ate the fish, here in this little boat, in the midst of a ruckus sea, you have a group of men with their Savior worshiping. There is the kingdom. We are that little boat in this world. If you were on shore that day, that night, that morning, and you were to look, and maybe there's some fishermen coming out early to do their, and you were to watch that scene, you would have thought, that boat's going under, man. That, that, that thing is, those fishermen are gone. This world, when they look at us as the church, many times they have written us off. They have thought, this little boat in the midst of this great world, it means nothing. It's going nowhere. It's going under. And yet, in this little boat of the kingdom, there is the, there is the Savior. There is the Savior. I want you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. I have one more point to make out of John chapter 6 in this um, in this seen at out in the Sea of Galilee. I was over in the children's, as you turned there, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I was over in the children's department this morning, and little Elliot was over there, and um, Alan and Leilani's grandson, cute little fellow, Elliot, and uh, he was alone with Leilani, and uh, Addie came in the door, and when Elliot saw Addie, he said, wow! Leilani said that's his response every Sunday when he sees Addie. Wow. I told Addie that's the response you want from the boys your whole life. Wow. When these, say, when these disciples saw Jesus Christ in the glory of that boat, they said, wow. Overwhelmed with the glory that was his. In John chapter 6, at the end when Jesus walks on the water in verse 21, it says this. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. This is the only gospel that references the immediacy of the boat making it over to the other side. The others just said, and when they came to the other side, it was a natural trip to go to the other side, maybe a couple more miles to get over on calm seas, but John says, in a split second they were there immediately were there. Now, I don't see a miracle here. I don't see a, 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 a Star Trek moment when they were beamed over to the side. But this is what I see, that in the mind of John, in the writer of this gospel, and in those disciples, to have Jesus in the boat was the immediate deliverance to the other side. Have you ever spent time with someone who really enjoyed spending time with, and the time flew by fast? Have you ever spent time with someone you didn't want to be with and minutes turned into hours in your mind? Uh, when Mike and I ride our ride, Mike Roddy and I ride our trail over here, it's 26 miles on a bike. That sounds like a long way, and it is a long way. But from the moment our pedal feet hit those pedals, we are talking like this. It is nonstop talking. And those 26 miles, it's over like that. That's the experience the church has 
when our eyes are on Jesus Christ. No matter what we go through in this life, personally, within this world, within our culture, whatever, when our eyes are on Christ, immediately we are in glory. This life passes like that, and we are with him. In that boat, on that ruckus sea, Jesus, the master of the sea, with those men, said to them, in essence, this is my kingdom. This is my glory. It isn't big. It's in the midst of trouble. But I'm here in the church today. I have not left it. I'll take it home. Keep your eyes on me. Immediately we'll be in safe glory land. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for a Sunday to come and worship you and speak of the kingdom of heaven on this earth. Lord, you are in the boat of the church. You are in this tiny fisherman's vessel on the mighty seas of the world, and right now it's tossing wildly. Lord, our eyes and heart is fixed on you and you alone. Father, we pray for the waves around us. We would like them to calm, but whether they calm or not is not the issue. Seeing you in the boat with us, giving us the peace inside that we need is the great victory that you desire to have. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us today at the Church at Suncoast. We pray that the message was a blessing to you. If we can be of any help, don't hesitate to contact the church on our Facebook page or at suncoastjacks.org. O-R-G. If you are in the listening area, we'd love to have you attend any of our services. We hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.